the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, episode 372. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Brett Roberts. Welcome back, Brett. Always great to have you here. It's always good to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, maybe you you can remind listeners where you fit into this world of technology in New Zealand? Oh, um, I've been in the tech world for a long time in New Zealand now, um, and right now I'm an associate director with Datacom based here in Auckland, down on the waterfront, in palatial new premises. It's awesome. Yeah, you're liking them? Yeah, yeah, it's really good actually. Yeah. Done a good job. Cool. Well, let's jump in. Lots to lots to chat through, but I always really enjoy your uh, opinions, and usually I have some. you surprise me with different facts and figures that, uh, that you store away. And uh, I'm I'm sure you'll you'll find an excuse to squeeze uh, to squeeze one or two interesting. Most of it's made up, bits you know. And, that, right? uh, you know, teach teach me teach me something new. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to it. Now, first up, wanted to chat about uh, TrueNet. Now, TrueNet have um, been working with, or you know, working. I guess you know, many ways on behalf of New Zealand consumers of the internet, which is you know, pretty much all of us, um, over, I think, since around 2010 type time frame. And they were contracted by the Commerce Commission to uh, measure and, you know, keep track of internet performance between uh, different providers. And, they've, you know, they've provided some pretty useful information in terms of getting a handle on how different internet providers have been doing in terms of, you know, peak speeds and what happens uh, at certain times when networks get a bit congested and, and so on. Um, although it's fair to say they've, they've come in for uh, a bit of flack over the years from certain internet providers. And I've, you know, certainly had, had um, well, more, more, more than one internet provider uh, sometimes challenging their results for you know, performance stats that uh, that they've delivered in their uh, in their, their regular reporting, uh, but it, but it's all over, and uh, I guess uh, a little bit of a, an end of an era because they've been you know they've been doing it for uh, for a good few years now, uh, but the Commerce Commission hasn't uh, picked them in their last uh, last round of selections, and uh, they haven't come up on on top. Yeah, it's interesting. To be perfectly frank and full and open with anyone listening, I'd never heard of them until today. But anyway, that doesn't stop me having an opinion, as you will know. Um, I'm just looking at Twitter now, and Bill Bennett tweeted five hours ago, um, wonder if the Commerce Commission testing contract that TrueNet lost to a foreign competitor is another case of government buyers neglecting New Zealand economic interests. So that's interesting, would be if it has gone to a foreign competitor. And I know for a fact that that wouldn't go down with a whole very well with a whole bunch of people at Catalyst IT in particular. Don Christie's been a very um, vocal, staunch um, proponent of um, government procuring IT services from New Zealand tech companies. He's done a lot well, they, of good they hard work in that space. 65% of, um, of, of TrueNet. Of TrueNet, so, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, that, and that's always, that's always a hard one, right, in terms of how, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you balance that? And if somebody offshore is willing to say do the job for half price or a tenth of the price, yeah. you know, at what point do you say, 
Hmm. Actually, that you know that makes sense to to offshore. And you and I were, were chatting a little bit before we started around some of this. And uh, um, yeah, there was a particular contract that uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with to do with uh, uh, a, a payroll system for uh, for teachers. <laughs> and uh, some some somewhere uh, some years ago, the decision was was made to uh, uh, involve an Australian company in providing that, and it didn't go down too well. Um, <laughs> And uh, it went Data- down spectacularly. <laughs> what a mess! <laughs> uh, and you know, Datacom, who who you were with, had you know had been involved, you know, I think in in that uh, prior. And I, you know, let's not dive into the history of that one. But then we were sort of talking about uh, of recent times. You know, Datacom having some huge successes in terms of new business uh, in Australia. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it can go both ways. And um, you know, I guess I. I'm always looking for what's going to help New Zealand and our economy and help us to to succeed. But there are times that it actually makes sense to uh, to use things from uh, yeah, it's from, a difficult from balance, elsewhere. Right? And and uh, yeah, it can it, it can be a bit of a challenge. So I'll be curious to see what other details come come out yeah, on this. So and, that will be uh, interesting. What, I think. what it looks like, and yeah. I'm sure there'll be OIA requests flying left, right, and centre. I mean, that's you know, I would imagine there's people penning those as we speak. Um, but it is a difficult um, balance. You know, there is a lot of really smart technology companies here in New Zealand, and I think it's um, it's a size thing. You know, it's that how does a, a minnow deal with a blue whale scale-wise? That's the, that's the trick. There are some smart people doing really good stuff, building some good services and good intellectual property. Um, but, of course, you know, they feel shut out by the, the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Apples, the whoever it might be of this world. And, um, yeah, it's tricky. I don't know. But yeah, I know we, we can't um, always compete. Certainly with those. No, that's those right. Really, those really big players. And NZ Rise is the organisation. I think that I think um, Don Christie actually was at the forefront of founding. That are, um, you know that's part of their um, raison d'être, reason for being, just to to push the whole thing of New Zealand companies um, getting more of a sale, more selling more into government IT services. But it's a challenge. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, little little bit of a an end of a, an era there. Obviously, for someone new to come in, they've got to get these probes out around into uh, into people's uh, homes, basically. They'll probably be able to buy know, them pre- at a discount pre- now. Yeah, presuming they can, uh, uh, they're going to follow a you know a similar mechanism, yeah. which I think you know I think they would have to 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 measure what internet performance is is really like uh, for certain internet providers. There's probably no other way of. Of of doing that than uh, than than having something in those. Uh, it's an interesting business, though, isn't it? I mean, you've got one customer. That's it. Well, I think they did some work with Chorus as well, okay. but yeah, one and a half customers. I don't think know, they, had, like, uh, they had the sort of baskets. diversity that is usually one yeah. of the requirements for for having a yeah. you know a, a business. Right? It's okay why the sunshine's kind of business model, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to lose it one and, day. So. Uh, you just have to have to pull the plug when yep. um, this this happens. Uh, now, also on the local front, uh, Slingshot announced a, a few days ago that they are offering an unlimited. Gigabit is sort of the term we use, although technically I don't think they're allowed to use that uh, term because they don't quite deliver uh, gigabit type speeds. But basically, you know, very, very, very fast yeah. uh, uh, home internet connection for under a hundred dollars. It's pretty cool. Like so, for starters, I live out in the country a bit, and we haven't even got fibre yet. So I'm very upset or jealous, envious. Envious is a better word. Jealous. Jealousy is a terrible emotion. Um, but that's impressive, right? A hundred bucks. So by the time we get it, which apparently is in September, hopefully it'll be even less than that. It's just racing ahead. Just, I mean, it just blows me away. I, it, was only, uh, it wasn't what? How many years ago were we sitting here talking about Crown Fibre Holdings and bearing all that 
you know, what they're going to do. Five, you know, how long would it take? And here we are. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, it certainly is for a pretty good chunk, pretty good chunk yeah. of the, the country. And uh, heard uh, Claire Curran uh, talking at um, uh, gathering the other day, and you know, I was asking her what be, you know, what's where's, what are her thoughts on on where things are heading, and and uh, you know what's happened, and um, around the ultra fast broadband and and rural stuff, and you know. Uh, her only comment was, "Well, I want the stuff to happen faster." Yeah. Um, so the, you know, uh, compared to where we were a, f- a few years ago, where it was like, "Oh, yeah, this is kind of interesting," and um, yeah, it was something that that you know, I guess uh, um, was a little bit unknown in terms of what the uptake would be like. And now we're at a point where, yeah, every, everyone just wants to be hooked up. And the and the plans are, you know, I think, pretty good. Certainly those initial plans weren't, weren't focused on delivering gigabit. And it's still fair to say most uh, home users don't need a gigabit-type connection. But when you get it at that sort of price, it sort of becomes, well, why wouldn't you just have the – the, the the top speed. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, just if you think of an analogy, you know, um, the amount of energy that can be delivered to your house, elect- electrical energy via the wires you're connected to, most people don't need that capacity, but it's there if, if, if you need it. I remember um, I did some consulting work for Crown Fibre Holdings a long, long, long time ago, and before all this kicked, or just around the time it was kicking off, it was some stakeholder engagement stuff, and... Um, what was interesting then were people were still talking about what were the drivers going to be. So, yeah, we could put all this stuff in the ground, but why? Why would people want it? Why would people want to use it? And then, you know, along comes Netflix and, you know, those guys. And interestingly, there were people even back then, and they're pretty pressing guys at Crown Fiber Holdings, that knew that it would be things like media services, um, and I don't think Netflix was even used as a word back then, um, that would drive that consumer demand. They had to find that magical thing that would drive the demand. It was all very well burying it, sticking it in the ground at vast expense, two and a half billion or whatever it was. But what were they going to use it for? And of course, now we look at it and go, oh, it's so obvious. But back then, it wasn't quite as obvious. You know? No, no, it wasn't. And, you know, certainly that, that picture is filled out, um, you know, more and more throughout the process. From my experience, just being in the, in the US for, uh, for about a month, I dealt with the the I guess the shambles that is you know North American internet connectivity as you get around different uh, yeah different parts of the country and the fastest internet I I got over that December January period and staying in you know a whole mix of properties uh, was before I left home and after I got home right <laughs> It was, you know, got back home and, you know, still had thousands of, you know, pictures and, and videos uh, on my smartphones. And That's pretty cool. those things all, all synced through lickety, lickety split. Um, but, yeah, I mean, certainly some properties had, had some pretty reasonable yep. uh, Wi-Fi performance, but you did nothing that, that really, um, yeah, mat- matched what, what has become very very quickly becoming yeah. sort of the norm in New Zealand. So and the other uh, it was very, the other very two nice. I think that's interesting is, um, and I haven't followed it particularly closely, but just picking up on some of the snippets you see on Twitter, it's very clear that the way in which the New Zealand governments and and their agencies have rolled out fibre broadband here versus the debacle that it would appear to be just across the Tasman 
we should be patting a number of people on the back for a job well done by comparison, which is pretty cool. In, yeah, and in, in, we're small, in, but we're perfectly formed. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, I know. We've we've have done an an, an an incredible job there, um, and. Yes, very very pleasing. I do work with uh, some some of those involved in the process, so you know some might say I'm biased, but I <laughs> I've I got to I got to say I don't come across too many people that have you know any uh, any complaints at all about how we're doing, other than they just they just want it now. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. usually the only thing. Never fast enough. Well, never soon I got enough. It? Never yeah. cheap enough. Um, yes, so like uh, most technologies, that's uh, that, that's the nature of it. Now. Want to move on to the U, uh, something that, that I guess it's come out of the the US, uh, but I think it, it's something that we should be thinking about. Yeah, this is an interesting topic. Uh, very much so. I mean, everybody's got to be thinking about this stuff, and this is, I guess, the the term "big brother" is what we used to, you know, what we used to talk about, and what you know what what might happen uh, when we're able to be monitored very very closely. By technology, and so the the particular trigger was a story out of the US uh, about the immigration and customs enforcement over there, or ICE as it's uh, referred to for uh, for short, and that they um, basically have have got a, a formal agreement in place to access nationwide uh, a nationwide license plate recognition database. And so this is data that's pulled from, you know, all manner of um, uh, different entities, I suppose, around the US. They're working with a uh, non-governmental third party who has this information and they're going to start, you know, utilising that as is, you know, appropriate from their perspective uh, to carry out their their job uh, this gets it's gets it's gets very uh, you know really it really sparks my interest in terms of thinking well from a law enforcement perspective the idea that you can know where yeah potentially where any car is at any moment of of the day and you can go through a database and find out exactly where that vehicle's been seen and tracked and so on is incredibly powerful but there's another right. side. So, there's another side of me that says, you know, do I do we do we really want that data, you know, floating around? And what's the potential if? And it's not usually if, is it? It's what's the potential when this data uh, if, if get, gets can, unsealed will, and into right? other, yeah. you know, other other people's hands. And, you know, you always get that, oh, well, look, I'm not doing anything wrong, so I don't care. Yeah. I don't mind if people no, you know, have my data and, yeah. and, and know everything about me. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this information this. being, being all, A, all wrapped up in what appears to be a private database already? Um, so the, the fact that that, you know, that all already exists and that's, you know, seems to be um, legal, and it's a company called uh, Vigilant, um, Vigilant, Vigilant, sorry, yeah. uh, Vigilant uh, Solutions. And uh, yeah, I mean, actually, the government tying into that. Um, where to start? Right. With this. So there's a few <laughs> things. One is 
Um, this is actually technology that's intrigued me for probably the last five or six years or so. Um, in fact, longer than that, um, for a few reasons. One is you can capture the data. There's no, as far as I'm aware, there's no law against capturing the data. Now, once upon a time, capturing number plate data and doing the, vision, the recognition stuff, that was really hard. And so you needed very expensive systems to do it. I would eat my hat if you couldn't build one for 100 bucks now, right? Rubbishy little camera. Um, there'll be, I bet you there's 10 open source projects out there doing the recognition stuff. Um, machine vision is just in, improving exponentially, right? It's just incredible. Yep. And we're, where we're sitting right now, we're, we're yeah, looking out just, on Spaghetti Junction. You could scan we can have the a cars. camera in the window here. It's exactly right that. now that actually yep. did that and, um, you know, published a record. So anyone that's wanting to know, uh, you know, if you're wondering where X, Y, you know, a yep. person is, well, you, you, think you about, could be putting something online to you, do that. You, you think suppose. about um, after the um, Fukushima. Um, incident, you know, with the tsunami, mm. there was that um, kind of crowdsource campaign where they were building radiation detectors and hooking them up on the internet and measuring radiation levels and all that sort of thing. Um, a whole bunch of Joe Publix and Jane Publix did that. Um, it would not be hard for government agencies or private organisations to build devices that grab that data, you know, from hundreds, thousands of places around the United States or Auckland or New Zealand or whatever and build that database. As far as I'm aware, it's not illegal to do that. It could be wrong, but I, I can't think of what law would say you can't do that. Um, and then you get into the whole, well, now we can start tracking car patterns or where, where people have been. And then, then you get into that very slippery slope around, uh, as you said, uh, Paul, I'm not doing anything wrong, so it's okay. Uh, the danger with that is you might not be doing anything wrong, but the person whose car you were parked next to at the car park at a large shopping mall three weeks ago was doing something wrong. So all of a sudden you might just become a person of interest. Something happened that these people were doing, you were nearby at the time. In fact, but through sheer coincidence, that might be the second time you've been nearby that car in a shopping mall or somewhere, and all of a sudden you're a person of great interest. Um, and as we all know, when things like that get flagged somewhere, they probably don't get unflagged all the time. Um, it is a very slippery privacy slope. There's a, um, an article I spotted probably a year or so back about a guy, I think in Australia, who built one of these systems um, on the cheap, and it was 60 or 70% reliable. It was, you know, for a home-built system, it was pretty good. All he needed was access to a database to then, you know, work out what the cars are and who owns them and who the people might be and where those individuals are. Um, this is really ugly. And I think you play that out um, against a backdrop of America becoming, um, I don't know, an action replay of Germany in the 1930s. be terrible to use the word fascist, but we will. Um, it's a ugly, ugly situation. And, um, Things can, can potentially turn... Nasty very oh, quickly. You bet. I, I, I would imagine that the um, ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, would be all over this like a rash, um, and there'll be all sorts of lawsuits and other things flying around this. But it is, um, I, I think it is the um, slightly more than thin end of a wedge. And then, of course, you go one step beyond that, and I've seen some um, demos lately of some machine vision stuff. And, I mean, the Chinese government have already come out and said they're putting in a camera system to track everybody. Uh, using facial recognition, it's that good. Um, if you can recognise faces that well, the next thing is, um, and I remember there was an article I read years ago, four or five years ago, 
that in the UK they were looking at whether they could do lip machine lip reading off CCTV footage. You know, if they haven't cracked that by now, I'd be very, very surprised. Um, we live in an absolute surveillance society. It's ter- and I think that's terrifying. Privacy, I think it was um, Scott McNeely, wasn't it, many moons ago said privacy's dead, get over it. Um, uh, and he was right, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I yeah, despair at times. It, it does. It, you know, seeing this one come up, it does make me think that it may be time that we need to yeah, check ourselves from a legal, a legal perspective. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, around, around where the framework should be, because there is there is the potential. And as you say, from a personal perspective, somebody could get into this very easily. You talk about matching databases, and I think in New Zealand it's reasonably easy to look stuff up around number plates, right? So you, it, it, you can actually for Joe public for the public, it's not anymore. It used to be you could literally go online and look them up. You can't do. In fact, sorry, you had to go to a post office, fill in a paper form, and they would tell you. They stopped doing that, funnily enough. Um, but certainly, car de- you know, um, car is it. Deal, you know, um, importers and others have some of that information. Um, it's accessible. It's there. And, and of course, the whole thing is that, you know, um, you know, we have the SIS, we have the GCSB. I'm sure, if necessary, they would have access to that information. Um, and this is where our very wonderful, and I'm not being sarcastic, our genuinely wonderful privacy commission, I think, plays into this. Be very interesting to kind of get their take on it. But hmm. you, you look at, I mean, I've seen enough examples recently of just how incredibly powerful machine vision is becoming how quickly and how cheap the technology is getting. And it's, um, you know, uh, someone always finds a way to use these things for nefarious ends. Yes. And, and I think this is going to be a classic example of it. Yeah. And, I mean, we've, you know, a lot, a lot of these cases we've seen uh, science fiction movies that sort of look at yeah. the potential, sometimes, you know, with or without the... Uh, um, the, the technologies that we might be that we might be thinking about now. Um, yeah, Minority Report was yep. one that sort of comes to mind. Yeah, the, the, you could have a whole different take on how you predict you know, that crime is going to happen from what they did in that movie, but with the types of AI and ability to recognise faces, as you talk about, you know, putting two and two together in terms of people being in the same locations and, you know, reading things that somebody might be joking about or otherwise, but not the whole, you know, thing comes together and, uh, you know, that, that's, Bob, Bob's it's, your it's uncle like, and, right. uh, you know, and, and you've got this, uh, you've got this system in place. There's, I, I saw this article years ago, I just found it again, it's two years old, um, in Fast Company, Hitachi make a system that um, does crime prediction and it uses inputs of, you know, weather and public transport information, all sorts of other things, you know, feed into that um, number plate details of known criminals' cars and all You know, um, there's absolutely potentially an upside, without a doubt, um, but the downside is potentially terrifying. It's, get, it's getting those frameworks right yeah. so that it... Well, the problem is they're always open to abuse, right? So you can have frameworks up the wazoo, um, but all it takes is for someone to abuse that. And, and I think um, that's, I think, where the challenge will come in. The temptation, particularly in the States at the moment, that is becoming somewhat totalitarian, a little bit surveillancey, a lot bit surveillancey. Um, I think the genie's out of the bottle. I don't think they can stop that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when you can start stitching together 
databases from a wide variety of sources. And mm. I'll tell you a funny story, actually, just while we're talking about number plate recognition. Um, uh, a company that I know quite well um, has been working on a, a large CCTV project for a, for a large customer and um, got some reports, uh, I think it was kind of late last year, um, where one car in particular had been um, picked up numerous times um, driving around the area and they thought that was a bit strange or suspicious. And the number plate was quite odd. It was I-I-I-I, um, which is quite a easily recognised number plate. Anyway, it turned out it wasn't a car. What had happened was apparently one of the cameras had slipped on its mounting and was pointing at a, um, a stormwater drain grate <laughs> and, and reading the, So there you go. Technology. That's brilliant. But yeah, yeah, the, good, the, eh? the database might uh, link that up and uh, whoever's yeah, that's right. been, been driving, driving that car, <laughs> suddenly they're, uh, you know... Um, they've got you know boys of blue knocking yeah, yeah. on knocking but on. But I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Brilliant. Yep. Now let's talk about getting hacked, crypto, and buckets of money, Brett. Um, so a few days ago, CoinCheck uh, got hit for a pretty big. Some now, this is a uh, a Japanese cryptocurrency exchange, and apparently uh, over a quarter of a million users were impacted by uh, the theft of uh, these these particular uh, coins. They weren't Bitcoin; they were called NEM NEM coins. Um, and yeah, between four hundred and five hundred million US. <laughs> Vanished. Um, gone. Now, this talks a little bit to the challenge, the, the the flip side, because you know we we often you know have this discussion and you know, people highlighting what's exciting around crypto and how cool it is, and oh look, you know we get rid of the middle men out of the way, so the you know the bank doesn't take their cut. Um, although it's actually pretty expensive to move uh, Bitcoin around at the at the moment, it's a lot more expensive, yeah. um, certainly for small amounts than uh, a typical uh, a typical uh, bank uh, tran- transaction, and and you know makes it not very useful for uh, for certain types of things. Um, but this is this is a real highlight of the the downsides of um, of cryptocurrencies. For certainly for um, some people, and I and I you know I guess that we see more people get involved in in the world of cryptocurrencies. Definitely, and as that happens, you get more and more non-technical people who w- will not understand what the ramifications are um, of, for instance, having. Um, you know, currency that's being uh, you know uh, stored by you know somebody somewhere somewhere else, and them not having complete control of of their own asset. I don't know where to start with this. I mean, the whole thing's quite <laughs> fascinating, right? Um, well, the, the 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 other bit that came out was that now they've they've you know and and um, yeah, they've come out and basically said, well, they're they're going to make good, and no one's going to be out of pocket. So. Um, that, 
that's kind of you know I was I was very curious about that because I you know I didn't know too much about them before, uh, but obviously they're a fairly successful or at least a large entity, or they've got some very very yeah. impressive insurance. Yeah, um, if they're able to uh, to deliver on this and just go, oh yeah yeah. Now it's a bit of a bummer that we you know we 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 lost about uh, you know half a half a billion uh, dollars, but no worries, uh, we'll we'll pay you back. We've got enough in our back pocket to sort that. One out. I think I think the way it we I'll eat my hat if there's a single insurance company on the planet would that would come anywhere near one of these guys, right? I, I would have thought so. I, I think probably the way it works <laughs> is we created our own currency and we have quite a bit of it. Oh, you've lost some of the currency <laughs> of our currency. Here, have some of our currency that we made, which, which is not we'll dissimilar to the more. way you know quantitative yeah. easing, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Isn't it? I, I read a great thing on Twitter or something recently. It said something about. Um, when your Uber driver driver tells you it's you know to buy um, Bitcoin, it's time to get out, kind of thing. And yes, it's, yeah. I don't know. I it, right now I don't have any any cryptocurrencies. Um, that's my disclaimer disclosure. Um, but I think we're just going to see more and more of this stuff. And you're exactly right. There is a lot of people throwing money at this. I, I talked to someone, a friend recently, who um, wanted to know, you know, who could he give twenty thousand dollars cash to to get some Bitcoin and and. His knowledge of the topic was that he had $20,000, and that was about where it ended. Um, but he'd heard about this Bitcoin thing, and it was going up, you know, crazy amounts, and wanted in. Um, when you get relatively technically naive people stepping into markets like that with lots of cash, this is always going to happen, right? So I don't know where it's going to end. What happened with Mt. Gox? I don't think anything happened, right? So they're almost the perfect crimes. People steal lots of money, and people go, oh. It just disappears. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that was uh, in in a similar sort of direction, you know. In the, I think it was in the hundreds of millions. Yeah, as well. it was. Um, yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I mean, talking about getting hot, you know, buying Bitcoin and and cryptocurrencies and users, it's. It hasn't been a particularly easy uh, easy process. The one that did um, slip through the net uh, pretty successfully and, and continues to do so is my Bitcoin saver. Um, okay, and yep. and the you know I guess yeah what I uh, my understanding is that. Uh, Banks here not to not to open on uh, for facilitating these types of transactions, and certainly have have heard of uh, references to bank accounts being uh, yeah, bank accounts being um, shut down. Yep. So yeah, the the banks not being too open to it now. There there is some good um, well good there there is some. Um, there's some motivation for the banks in that the current sort of money laundering rules that have come into place over the, over the last few years uh, have tightened things up. And so from their perspective, there's a level of legitimacy to them saying, hey, no, we can't have that sort of stuff yeah. going through because, you know, we, we don't know where that's going and, you know, there could be some nefarious intent and so on. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't delved into the ins and outs of the legislation on this and we, we probably should have an episode where we really dive into this stuff. Um, you know, with, It's with, quite an interesting field, right? So what you're talking about yeah. is AML, anti-money laundering legislation. That's the one. Um, it's driven out of the United States. 
Um, if you do not adhere to um, your AML requirements, you can lose your banking license. That's a fairly serious thing for a bank. Especially um, when some of these guys are making a billion dollars well, profit a year. You, that, that's you, that's you, exactly right. You'd be pretty cautious. Well, look at the situation in Australia recently with, I think it was CBA, where they had um, ATMs, smart ATMs around the place that enabled you to, I think it was deposit more than $10,000 or whatever it was. The total fines that could be levied against them if they were whacked with a maximum fine is in the trillions of dollars, right? Wow. The, so, um, and of course, all of this is designed, the whole AML thing is to shut down terrorism, right? You, if you want to be a decent terrorist these days, you need dollars. You've got to shuffle them around the planet, um, you know, by shutting down that money supply. You shut, hopefully, they think, shut down terrorism. Um, probably and, not quite that easy. No, quite, not quite. There's probably a few other things. Maybe stop making all the guns for them. But anyway... Um, the what I think is interesting with this whole thing is, um, you know, bit, well, Bitcoin cryptocurrencies on top of um, blockchain technology have the potential to completely rewire the global economies. Right, that's a really easy thing to say. Um, I would imagine most banks don't necessarily like that idea. Just about any bank person I've talked to recently, they've all got teams working on on blockchain related technologies. Right, they're embracing the technology. But the idea of taking banks out of the equation, shuffling money around, loans, whatever it might be, probably isn't going to go down that well with a very large chunk of the financial services industry. Um, And I would imagine governments aren't particularly keen on dollars being shuffled in and out of countries without them having tabs on it either. Um, So I think it might be one of those interesting um, uh, unstoppable force of technology meets the immovable object of government and legislation. And I think that's happening right as we speak, that Mm. that kind of explosion or that um, collision. Um, And it'll take a little while to play out, I suspect. I see South Korea at one stage banned um, the use of cryptocurrencies. China came out and said they were going to ban mining. I don't know whether they're still doing that. Um, I think governments all around the planet are trying to get their head around this. And, of course, technology is just racing ahead at speed. Um, and, you know. and and the the other thing I've noticed is that uh, yeah, I think it's in the in the US uh, that the government have been hitting up those invo- involved uh, in the in the cryptocurrency space, and I think Coinbase was one of those maybe that were uh, were hit, and they're basically being being forced to bring transparency around. The transactions that they deal in, yep, uh, from a you know, cryptocurrency perspective. So, you know, even though you know technically uh, these things are, are um, you know, it's not it's not clear who holds what funds and so on. But then, if you start opening up the the providers and uh, enabling some transparency at those particular points, uh, then you at least get a a level of ability to see into yeah, uh, to, and to, to what which raises, on, right? and of course, that's the other um, benefit that's often touted around cryptocurrencies is, is the um, anonymity, right? Um, I was trawling through one of the dark web subreddits a while back. It was quite interesting, and I found this post from a Kiwi, um, and he or she was saying that they had been recently to a law enforcement agency, and this is like probably a couple of years ago, had been to a law enforcement agency. Um, event. I got the impression in New Zealand, um, talking about tracking of cryptocurrency transactions, which of course everyone a couple of years ago thought were completely anonymous. And it turned out that some law enforcement agency somewhere 
uh, because a lot of transactions are point zero one four seven six two three of a of a bitcoin right had had basically gone well this amount of bitcoin you know down to ten decimal places disappeared out of that account and miraculously a short time later exactly the same amount turned up in this account over there <laughs> those two things could be the same transaction which yeah. I thought, well that's pretty smart um, and what this person was saying was. Um, and this was in, in a dark web thing where they were talking about, I don't know, buying drugs and guns and whatever it might be online. Don't use cryptocurrencies for these things anymore. It's already been cracked. It's not anonymous anymore, which I thought was interesting. So a lot of the things that were touted as the benefits of the technology initially, which was anonymity, ease of moving dollars around the world, um, uh, you know, paying for things, you know, uh, using virtual currencies, are actually failing at the moment. I'm sure people work their way through those things, but at the moment, they're not delivering on the promise. There's some amazing stuff happening, though. There's, um, yeah, and there are, there are obviously new initial coin offerings and, and new uh, platforms coming yeah. out that that address the, those sorts yep. of challenges as well as you know a whole lot of new things too, right? Yeah. Uh, there, you know, there was Centrality did a initial coin offering um, a little while back. You know, Kiwi Company, I think they're based in Auckland, um, raised, off the top of my head, yeah, 80 US million dollars. 80 million US dollars in six minutes. You know, um, any any industry where those sorts of dollars can be raised that quickly is going to be rife with fraud for, and I'm not saying they're fraudulent, but it's going to be rife with fraud um, for a little while. You know, it's the wild west, wild, wild, wild west at the moment in the in the crypto space. So, um, yeah. yeah, interesting times. Oh, it's always it, interesting times. <laughs> and I mean, I see that, um, that the FMA actually have a, section on the website specifically around cryptocurrencies and ICOs. Yeah, and and I've kind of, um, to a degree, sort of stayed away from diving into uh, this sort of area too much and getting into financial advice and and so on can be uh, yeah a, a dangerous area to get into. Um, but I did mention my Bitcoin saver earlier, and we, we should get... Um, um, a bit of a, an episode going on this stuff, but that is a, I think it's a great idea. Is yeah. a is a um, a really interesting way if you just want to, uh, and especially amongst our audience of listeners with the New Zealand Tech Podcast, who are usually pretty keen to keep up to date with what's happening and how these things work, uh, then my Bitcoin saver is a is a way for you to dabble a little bit. They've got a you know a cap on it, so you can't actually buy very much. Um, and that's their way of sort of yep. you know keeping everybody happy. As you can you can really only you know put a, a small uh, you know drop in sort of comparatively to you know like what you were talking about. With oh, I got twenty thousand cash here. How do I convert yep. that to, uh, to to Bitcoin? Um, so yeah, I, th- I think um, there, you know something like between twenty and two hundred dollars is the you know is the maximum that you can buy uh, in in a single week, for instance. So. Um, that's certainly a place to look for those that are sort of curious and they're oh, you know, yeah. can we buy this stuff in New Zealand? How would we? And you can use them and, and only make, you know, one or two payments. So you've just got a small bit of, um, you know, uh, Bitcoin. Then you can convert it to others and have a little bit of a dabble just to get a bit of a feel for how, yeah. how it works. That's, um, yeah, that, that's one, uh, that's one approach, but I'm not going to dive in any further to, uh, how you can or should or should not uh, try, financial try and, advisors. Uh, and this is not financial uh, advice. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> figure out your uh, your future off the back of uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, but maybe we can get some experts in. I think it's um, a really good idea. Yeah. I'd listen. All right. Now on to a couple of other couple of other topics. Uh, Samsung 
their next uh, Galaxy. And the, the Galaxy S8 was a, and the S8 Plus and their, their Note 8, yeah, pretty fantastic phones. I mean, it's fair to, fair to say uh, Samsung are getting a you know, fair bit right here and uh, and and doing you know in the in the scheme of things for our smartphone uh, makers uh, very very well uh, but it, some images have leaked as they tend to coming up to uh, to launch of their uh, their next generation uh, phones the S9 and uh, we'll likely hear about uh, those within that launch over the next uh, next few weeks i think um, end of uh, end of feb is when the um, the unveiling of the uh, the new Samsung Galaxy S nine um, will will take place as part of Mobile World Congress. So um, that'll be one to watch out for. Brett, are you? Um, no, I'm an Apple user. You're an, you're an Apple so, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never been an Androidy for some yeah. reason. I'm not sure yeah. why that is. I've yeah. um, drank the Kool Aid and used Steve's phones, but um, you've been using you and you've been on on an iPhone for as long as I can. I can remember yeah, pretty twenty two thousand and eight pretty nine, 10, pretty something. Uh, when did they yeah. come out? A year or so after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was something I was going to say about the the Samsung stuff. Um, how did the hassles they had? Was it the S eight they had the hassles with? The S uh, the no, the Note seven, which was the one that was catching oh, was fire. Note, yeah. yeah. How, how do you think that affected the company overall? Or has everyone kind of gotten past that? And it was. It, I mean, it, it's, it seems as though they took it incredibly seriously. Yeah, it would have cost them, you know, whatever the numbers probably, ended up yeah. being, but yeah, well north of a billion. Uh, but they, you know, they 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 took it very seriously. They seemed to, you know, I don't know if you could say they more than addressed it, but I would imagine that they've considered the safety and reliability of their batteries more than any other, you know, any other company in the industry, right? So it should be now that, you know, if you want a safe phone, should, you know, uh, a Samsung phone should be this, you know, should be your safest option. Um, and even down to their lower end phones, because again, they you know they can't muck around with their reputation. Yeah. Uh, that said, leading up to it, of course, here in New Zealand, we'd had washing machines that caught on fire and other things, yep. so they didn't you know, have a very good That's track right. record yes, from yeah, a from that. a safety perspective. Yeah. And uh, chief executives arrested and jailed, and a few other things. Well, so. yeah, actually, we haven't delved too much into yeah. uh, some some of those dramas that they had in uh, that they've had in um, in South Korea. Um, but yes, they've 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 certainly had a few uh, a few woes there and um, <laughs> reputational issues. You've got to imagine that they're that they're they're pretty cautious. Yeah. Uh, right. Right now. Um, now on to uh, yeah, they had a huge presence at CES as always, and uh, you know did all their their yeah usual uh, there that you know. Big media event showing off. The they have some of the biggest stands, and don't they? I think. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. um, whatnot. Now let, let's uh, let's talk. Now, last week we talked a bit about um, rocket launches, and I guess you know sometimes we just sort of wander through and talk. Oh, yeah, this is the news of the week, and so on. And I've sort of been pondering, and I can't actually remember exactly what we said. Um, but I'm just not sure that we celebrated enough last week on the episode of you know how what an incredible achievement it, it was 
um, to you know to see uh, Rocket Lab and Peter Beck, you know, actually you get know, getting across orbit. this incredible line yeah. of you know of getting something to to orbit. And um, yeah, the the more I think about it, the more it's like this is this is just nuts that this has been you know achieved. And you know, I'm really I'm I'm keen in the future to uh, um, to tell a bit more of that that story because. Uh, there must be so many lessons and and things that we can uh, we can take away from uh, Peter's just you know um, tenacity and and uh, focus and the huge dreams that he's gone after. And I re- I remember being at the announcement where they they showed off the uh, you know the first the first big black the, tube. The, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think they'd already fired the engines maybe the year the year before the three D uh, printed. Um, engines uh for the electron and um on the wall were their their previous achievements uh and you know one of them looked like a firework you know yep. it, was, it was that small um but you know just that that's been the journey and uh yeah how incredible to get to the point where where, where we've got to now where there's you know satellites sitting up there and including um a sort of a a, a shiny disco ball dis- disco ball is yep. what has been referred to right yep. the uh the humanity star yeah the humanity star um yeah which is is you know generated a bit of con- uh you know no a lot not a bit a lot of controversy uh, yeah, yeah yeah um but you know boy re- regardless of you know your opinions on on whether we should be um you know polluting space with with something unnecessary that's going to you know create um you know put extra extra light to uh, make life a little bit difficult for um astronomers or or not um yeah boy what an, what an achievement yeah yeah so all of the above right i think um the thing that's always amazing with peter beck is you know he must have woken up one morning go and thought oh I'll commoditize getting microsatellites into space. It's like, you know, I wake up in the morning going, where's my toothbrush? Um, you know, so j- just the vision of the guy. And then to figure out, you know, bring um, that vision um, together with 3D printer or 3D titanium printing um, it was just kind of sheer genius, you know. And, and, and the, getting all the investors and oh, all, and, and, of, the, I all mean, of the all right of that's just involved. massive. I mean, there's a, a million, you know, it's like there's a million different things that had to happen to achieve it. And yeah, absolutely incredible, we're, right? We're there, and you, yeah. I mean, you know, right. the, the best thing about that launch the other day was when someone said, um, "This is Mission Control Auckland." It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I understand. I didn't actually hear it in the stream, but when they did the launch, apparently at some stage prior to the launch, there was a sheep um, bleating in the background somewhere. It's like, oh, this is New Zealand, you know. I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I was really proud. I just thought it was pretty amazing um, journey that he's been. I mean, it's an American company, right? Let's not get too. Um, soppy about it. It's a, you know it's an American company that does its launches in, in New Zealand. But man, what a what a smart guy assembled an incredible team. And the statistics someone told me a while back, and I've got no idea if it's true, and I really don't care, mm. is that because of Rocket Lab, there are more rocket scientists in New Zealand per head of population than any other country on the planet. Nice, well, it's nice. great, right? Yeah. yeah. So even yeah. if it's not we, true, it just sounds good. So just tell oh, all your Australian friends that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, that's phenomenal. Now, um, the reason why we also want to talk yeah, about the space, uh, was uh, <laughs> SpaceX uh, planning the launch of their uh, Falcon Heavy uh, rocket on uh, February the the sixth. So this really, you know, ups the uh, the the game for them. 
and you know, I think it's fair to say SpaceX have uh, yeah have been have been doing doing okay the last little while. Yeah. Um, and I got to see what um, uh, at, at first take uh, we joked that maybe it was a UFO, saw a strange thing in the sky uh, when when we were travelling um, to uh, Yosemite. Valley, um, just heading towards oh, okay. Christmas. Yeah, uh, in, yeah there's in a lot of good photos year. of that, right? Though. And uh, yeah, it was just like, what the blazes? What is that? It was, you know, head scratching, and it was a dark sky. So seeing this sort of glowing thing that was changing <laughs> shape and you know morphing in front of us was uh, was was quite something to see. Uh, but yeah, re- you know, really uh, impressive that they're uh, that they're on on the verge of um, yeah firing up the uh, the the Falcon Heavy uh, most powerful. Rocket. rocket of all time, I think, isn't it? Isn't it the? I think it is. Or is it this? Isn't it funny? Or maybe it's second. Oh, who's, yeah, let's, let's not get nitpicky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it still amazes me how we just take that stuff for granted, right? They they um, did an Ariane Ariana launch last week, where they I think they eventually got the satellites into orbit, but they lost contact with it with them for um, at first stage separation for a period of time, and I think. That was the first launch in thirty something launches where that had a glitch. Mm, mm. You know, now these things are just well controlled explosives, and to be able to, you know, with that monotonous dependency, shove very large objects into space is just amazing. You know, it's really. I've always thought that um, getting man to the moon, um, getting those things in space, is almost the epitome of um, engineering. You know, it's just the, our ability to. Think beyond and and then go and chase the dream. It's pretty cool, really. Mm, it is. That's why I think that satellite's okay. It's only up there for how long? Nine months. Yeah, suck Nine it months. up. I, I reckon. I, it's can pretty cool. I can live with it too. If it eh? makes a few million people <laughs> look up at the sky and, and wonder. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I, I'd like to think that it's playing. Geez, I don't know, Poye or something <laughs> uh, yeah. as well. That you know, so people know where yeah, it's from. But yeah, that would have been good. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, part of what enables all of this is all of the other technological developments, microchip, GPS chips, all of these things that are miniaturized, low cost and so on. And, um, you know, look, it's it's mind-blowing what they're achieving, but it is sort of, you know, building on the last 30, 40 years of, you know, development. Standing on the shoulders of giants is what technology's always done. And if this is what we're getting now, what are we going to see in another 30, 40 years in terms of uh, what's possible? Yep, absolutely. Um, I will look forward to my mind being being blown again many times (laughs) in the years ahead. But what we won't be seeing is... Pebble and um, hardware buttons. So... Yeah, we've got uh, got the you know reports um, or you know communications through from uh, from Fitbit who who bought up the uh, the the assets of uh, Pebble uh, that they're ending uh, support for the the Pebble uh, watches come uh, come June. And there was an interesting article about it in The Verge, and they were saying, well, this is the end of of hardware buttons. Everything is moving. To touch screens, and I thought this is quite a curious um, observation because, yeah, it wasn't that long ago we were used to buttons on everything, and I mean, if I look at the the smartphones that I've you know I've got kicking around now, they've got less and less buttons. In fact, I had a an issue uh, with the iPhone uh, ten. 
this morning and look this has got um it's got a sort of vibrate or silent slash you know um, on off switch on off for your you know your audio switch volume up and down and uh Sort well, I can't remember what this other side button's called because it's no longer your power button, um, and you don't have a home button in, anymore. But but basically, I couldn't uh, I couldn't slide up to unlock unlock the phone. Now there were enough buttons yep. on the you know between the side that I was able to hold them down and then at the top of the screen slide the power it off, rebooted it, and it and it came right. Um, but we 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 quickly getting to a point where look everything is all about the touch screen yeah yep. and, and software. it's sort of got some pro, pros and cons to it because it's it's kind of nice sometimes having a having a few buttons and uh you know you think of say and, and i guess it's probably not you know lots of these types of scenarios but touch screens don't work well underwater so you want to take your yep. phone to you know snorkeling or something uh, diving and, and do some stuff you're trying to tap on your screen to take a photo you kind of have to start filming before you you know <laughs> put it put it underwater or you know put it in some sort of mode but i know it's um it's just something we've we've had for so long uh it is funny that yeah look you're uh, you're very much going to be reliant on Touch screens and yeah, not the, I think the usual bits of buttons. If you think things. about it from a um, product perspective, anything that moves is expensive, unreliable, and you know it's just going to cost you money in the long run. So I can kind of get the economic driver of it. You know, it kind of makes sense. Uh, I would imagine taking buttons off something like a Pebble watch must save them a fortune, right? Um, but but you're right. When you want to reboot it or or whatever it is, what what do you do? When we get to 100% reliable software, it probably won't be won't be an issue. Um, but yeah, it's actually, while you were talking just earlier, about 10 minutes ago, my um, laptop decided for some reason that um, I couldn't click anything with my mouse. Yeah, okay. So what did I do? I had to go Alt-Control-Delete. Yeah. I didn't have to reboot it. I just yeah. had to then minimize everything and it all seemed to fix it. But it's like, I still quite like buttons. There is something to be said for... The other thing too is there's some interesting advances being made around um, the use of, I think it's ultrasonic frequencies or something, to provide tactile feedback on glass touch screens that you can they can actually make I haven't seen much on that three for a dimensional while, you know yeah, yeah. There, but there have there have been things where you you know you in theory able to sort of bubble up a button on yeah. you know a physical button appear on your screen well they talked uh, about using them for press, braille right? and all sorts of yeah. things yeah yeah but it has gone quiet you're right now there was there was a couple of other things I wanted to squeeze in before we uh, before we we finish up if uh, if you've got another you know five or ten minutes yeah go um, so pay hike for musicians this this was a very curious um, story to come across uh, Bloomberg Bloomberg just just published a report in the last uh, um, twenty four hours or so. And this is around uh, Spotify, um, possibly other other streaming services, and this is coming out of um, out of the US. You know, I think it is, and uh, they're referring to the copyright. Royalty board has ruled that uh, songwriters will now get uh, a fifteen point one percent share of streaming revenues over the next five years which previously was 10.5%, uh, which is, you know, in percentage terms, that's... Um, 50%. Heading towards, heading towards 50, 50%. Um, 
And look, I think it's you know, it's really important that you actually reward the people who are creating the content. The yeah, artists, it's a radical right? concept, really, isn't like, it? You yeah. know, that's pretty important. Yeah. 105 percent doesn't sound like uh, doesn't sound like a whole whole lot to me. So I'm not sure of you know all of the economics behind it. Although my understanding is that. Um, Spotify are uh, you know right now still a, a, a loss making uh, entity. Yeah, I think they are. So them having to pay musicians fifty percent more, um, you know, uh, may may impact their future a, a little bit. I'm sure they'll figure this they'll figure this out one way one way or or another. I mean, often what happens with these sorts of businesses is they're spending so much um, marketing themselves. Because they want to be the big dominant player, and and that's what adds to their uh, yeah. valuation. So their investors are like, yeah, we'll throw another billion dollars yeah. into uh, to fund that because uh, that's going to help it's us up, grab, up right? our overall uh, you know valuation by another two billion or something, yep. right? Um, so yeah, they've worked out that it's okay. But um, the bit that I was sort of curious about is, I wonder how that works for. Yeah, an outside entity, and I don't really know too much about the copyright royalty board or or where they fit, but that they're able just to uh, go in and uh, and and play with the uh, the business model, and I, you know, I suppose that's. Um, it's not a. It's not as though it's. A, I'm presuming this is not a government entity that does that. Um, you know, maybe some sort of music industry um, entity. But it is quite interesting that they've got uh, they've got that power to uh, come in and sort of you know arbitrarily dic- dictate and say, hey, look, you know, I know you've cut this deal X Y Z and uh, and so on. Um, and away you go. Actually, looking at it here, the, they are part of the U.S. government, the copyright. It's a U.S. Uh, system of three yeah. copyright royalty judges who determine rates and terms for copyright statutory licenses and make determinations on distribution of statutory license royalties collected by the U.S. Copyright Office of the Library of Congress. There you yeah. go. So Wikipedia the, rocks. Yeah, I, I mean, interesting. I've, I've, I've never heard of them. Learned something new today. Yeah, um, but. So was it them that 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 originally set that you know I would ten point five percent, or was it something that was negotiated and now they've come in and said actually that needs to needs to go up? Um, and why was it only ten point five in the first place? Well, there's a few things that um, I've just seen on this Wikipedia entry. There's another bit that says these administrative judges are appointed by the Librarian of Congress, and I just picture this person going shh a lot. Um, <laughs> what's interesting is it's. Um, up to 15 point whatever is percent of streaming revenues and you think you know I, I wouldn't even know what streaming revenues look like but I, I think my the cost of my music consumption has gone down by orders of magnitude since I, I'm on Apple Music um, you know I pay I think is it thirteen ninety nine a month or something and I consume a fair chunk of music I would imagine that the average income for musicians has probably gone down so it's 15 percent of Maybe I'm wrong, but my gut feel kind of says that you know the. I mean, there's people out a, a there. Lo- a lot of money has been sucked out of the the industry, and you know, I recall um, a particular company that I a, a, a record store that I was uh, dealing with back in the in the days of our, the social network we were running, WorldDJ.com, and uh, you know, these guys were very successful, and uh, they were the I think the biggest retailer of electronic music in uh, in the US. And then came uh, the the GFC 
Uh, I might have even been pre-GFC, actually. Um, might have been nine um, eleven, and uh, that that at that point, basically the um, well, that seemed to be the sort of the turning point. Oh, okay. Uh, and and then you know we obviously there were there were a whole lot of other you know technological uh, things that happened, Napster yep. and 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 so on. And that whole industry, you know, dramatically changed. And we're sort of now at a point where, you know, unless you're a very big artist, uh, it it comes down to merchandise and yeah. you know, ticket sales and so on, rather than thinking that you're going to make money out of out of selling records. Now, you know, we've got uh, you know one one or two in New Zealand that uh, that you know do okay. Uh, you know, Lord being the, yeah. uh, the 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 big example. Um, but you know, for most musicians. And yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I guess I've you know, quite a few friends that have been involved in that music world. It's uh, it has changed a huge amount in this last twenty years. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost the classic example of you know the digitization, democratization, and eventual destruction of business models, right? And um, I'm sure there's a whole lot of people at Sony Music twenty or thirty years ago that figured they could never be toppled, and all of a sudden it's all been turned on its head. It's quite a, yeah, it's amazing to watch. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Luckily, I have no music talent, so this doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> on a on a on a really different front, Hapdex. Now, this is a company that came out with some news late last year, and, I, and we we didn't uh, we didn't cover it, and I I didn't realise the um, I guess the the importance of um, of what they were developing. But there's been a bit of news around this in the. Uh, in the last few days, they've you know they've got their technology into uh, into a few people's hands. So if you're interested in um, in virtual reality and where that's heading, um, Google these guys, Haptex Glove, and um, there's yeah, just some some fascinating work they're doing. Um, they 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 basically have this very fancy uh, fancy glove right now that uses um, what they're calling uh, micro pneumatic haptics, and so you put this glove on, and then you know you immerse yourself with your uh, virtual reality uh, headset. You um, um, you know take yourself away from seeing the real world, and then you ha- with these gloves on, you're able to interact. Uh, with the you know this virtual whatever virtual world you're in, and and actually it feels as though you're you're there. And uh, one of the videos that I uh, that I saw um, demonstrated uh, rain coming down and someone you know putting their wow. hand out and and it feeling as though the rain was you know was touching them uh, and and varying other sort of you know interactions where. It actually, you know, makes your hand feel as though you know these things that you're seeing uh, happen, and then even some smart things. It's you know, say you go to to grab hold of maybe it's a steering wheel. I'm just making this one up, but maybe it's a steering wheel, and you put your hands around the steering wheel. When you get to sort of the point where you're clutching it and your hands should stop, then um, little. And I, you know, I can't remember the the terminology that they uh, they use, but things that will uh, restrict. Um, what are the, well, here's the reference here: um, inflating stoppers along the joints of your fingers to restrict 
the movement of your fingers. So as you close in on that virtual steering wheel, squeeze it will further. only let you squeeze yeah. so far. So you actually feel as though you're you're uh, you're gripping, you know, you're gripping that wheel in that case. Uh, I mean, this this is uh, this is actually pretty. It is pretty, pretty cool mind blowing. St- pretty cool stuff. Um, and it, I mean, for me, it sort of seems like, oh, wow, this this really is taking, um, you know, virtual reality, you know, much, much closer to a feeling of uh, of reality when it's not just the seeing and the hearing, you know, it's the ability to actually in, off inter- interact, uh, yeah, physically. Yeah. We, um, one of the kids in the family bought himself a um, Oculus Rift uh, for Christmas, and so we've been playing with that over the Christmas break. And um, funnily enough, I was sitting in our lounge um, playing around with some of the games yesterday and actually made the comment that someone needs to invent a glove that provides feedback, um, tactile feedback. But actually the thing I really wanted was just the ability to pick something up using my fingers rather than have to point some sort of device at something and hover a laser beamy thing and click something, which is extremely unintuitive, non-intuitive. Um, but the stuff is all coming together. And I have to say, I, was, I, I wasn't a sceptic or a cynic around um, VR stuff but actually sitting down playing with some of these things over the last few weeks um, some of it's pretty cool there's a couple of games that we've played with there's a um, an Apollo Apollo 11 simulator which I was sitting in our lounge uh, with a cold beer by my side um, flying with um, the astronauts to the moon that was pretty neat that's pretty cool because you know, for the astronauts that went, they wouldn't have been able to take a beer with them. Well, so, apparently not. Yeah, I, I'm so, guessing. No I one think, else had a beer. Yeah. I was the only one. <laughs> one of the things that was interesting that I never realised, and like I'm a, I love space stuff, and I still vividly remember sitting in a classroom at primary school when I was a kid, listening to them landing on the moon. Everyone out, went, everyone else went outside to play, and I thought, "Well, oh, this is pretty cool. I'll stay in here and listen." So it's it's kind of been woven into me for a long time. I didn't realise that as they were um, flying down onto the moon's surface, assuming that the simulator that I was sitting in was real enough and everything else seemed to be pretty good, they were actually standing, not sitting, which I thought was kind of interesting. Right? Yeah. So they were actually in a device that they were flying while standing rather than being strapped into seats. There you go. That was interesting. Um, but actually, it was, it, was, um, it was incredibly immersive. It was, it was genuinely... Engaging, I sat there for probably an hour, staring at this thing, and just yeah, what, being there. What, with a, what a, I mean, you know, what an incredible way to learn oh, history, to exactly. learn about science and yep. technology, to be able to immerse yourself like that as as though well, what you was were cool. So you know, you you were part of. I I remember going back many many years. Um, to and I, I probably won't remember the name of it, but a TV program where someone sort of travelled through time and you know hit these particular interest. I think they were quite interesting points yeah. in time. Um, and it was like, but this is what the you know the technology and in your case, you're describing you know what effectively is a is a um, time travel. Device. Yeah, well, it kind of you know that's an interesting way of thinking about it because it um, obviously you, you put the thing on and the first thing you notice is that you know obviously the resolution isn't like a retina display yet they're not that good and um, but still they're not bad. Um, the way this particular um, game or, or um, piece of software had been done, it didn't try to be photorealistic. It was really mm. just trying to get the message across. So there's a little blurb at the beginning. It had JFK's speech about going to the moon. and um, It was almost like being inside a documentary. That's probably the best way of describing yeah, it. Yeah. But, but it was quite interesting. Um, 
you, anyone that's ever watched or listened to the Apollo 11 um, audio, you know, they were about to land and ran into a big area with rocks and Neil Armstrong had to take over and fly the thing a bit. Um, oh, and a bunch of alarms went off. That was the other thing. They had, you know, the software, you know, because it was less computing power on the entire rocket than there was on someone's iPhone. Yeah. Um, and you could actually see the lights come up. And, and it's like, oh, okay, that's what these guys would have seen. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... Um, and, and even, for example, when the the um, craft, the capsule's coming back through the atmosphere, I think it was the, was it the atmosphere? But anyway, I was watching, and I spent um, a lot of time in my dim, dark past flying in New Zealand simulators around the place, so I know how to read instrumentation. Watching the attitude direction indicator, which is the, you know, up, down, left, righty thing, spinning, just absolutely spinning. This is the These altitude. guys are just tumbling um, all over the place, <laughs> yeah. you know, just watching this stuff and how... You know, for you know how disorienting that disorientating that wow. must have been. It was really, uh, yeah, it was actually pretty damn cool. Like when yeah. I put the thing on, I thought, oh, this will be a bit cheesy, and I'll get ten minutes into it. Like an hour later, and a couple of beers later, it's like this is actually pretty good. You know, mm. so mm. Mm. the other game um, that we were playing is called um, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, and it's a, um, I think it's a port off a PC game, but you're in this room with these various bombs um, and you've got to defuse them and so someone's sitting in the room with you with some paper instructions and you have to describe the bomb you know it's it's got six modules to it there's some wires what color are the wires are oh, there's three white wires and two red wires cut the first red wire and they give you all the instructions and you're playing against this um, counter and it's actually a lot of fun it was um, you know it's an expensive lot of fun but actually pretty cool so I think that stuff's just gonna like all these things get better and better and cheaper and cheaper um, but I was, yeah, I guess I'd have to say I was a little bit on the eh side with um, VR. Um, AR, I've played around with HoloLens and a few other things. I'm pretty impressed with that. But I can see absolutely how the whole VR thing is, is going to be its own um, niche, huge niche as well. So Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No, it's, um, it's, a, it's a cool space. Um, we've got here at the office um, one of the Microsoft... Um, uh, HoloLenses. Um Oh, it's, yeah, it's one. One, it's not the hollow lens, but it's uh, they call it their um, uh, one of the third party, you know, ones. Oh, okay. that, yep. you know, Lenovo and HP and stuff. Yep. Of, of, you know, they part partnering with on, but um, yeah, it's it's very cool technology. It's just so accessible now, right? Yeah. So that's the that's the cool thing when everyone can start getting their hands on it. I am a little bit curious because we used to get the um, you know the discussions around. Oh, you know, youngsters playing these games where they shooting people and whatnot, and you know, is that gonna, does that cause them to be sort of violent when they when they grow up? Um, uh, and I don't remember that there were any science that ever proved any of that stuff. No, they have. So I literally read something in the last few days where they've done a, a, a proper scientific study and shown categorically that playing violent video games does not make one a violent, psychopathic right. serial killer. So, so I, I kind of wondered if there was any, if there was any truth to that stuff, um, how the, the, the equation might change with VR yeah. when you're actually immersing somebody much more, you know, it actually becomes a lot more real, well, you know, particularly as, as uh, virtual reality gets more and more real and whatnot so anyway that's that's another discussion for another for another day a, a, another yep. day a um, couple of other uh, just little uh, items that were that were in the news that um, um, we don't have time to chat through but um, 
Strava, which is a, um, I guess it's a, you know it's a fitness sort of social network yeah. if, uh, to to describe it in in simple terms, and um, you know initially gained popularity for uh, you know massive popularity from cyclists, but you know not not just limited to um, to cycling now. Um, so they've released this tracker heat map that reveals. Um, yeah, basically where activity happens, and um, well, there's been there's been a little bit of sort of looking at these uh, uh, these heat maps that they've generated where where things happen, and by drilling in enough, um, apparently what this um, you know the, these publicly shared heat maps do is uh, reveal the location of military bases that are maybe supposed to be you know quite secure because there are certain patterns of you know maybe how people walk and patrol yep. these things and whatnot and you know people wearing their uh, or, or, or using their their phones gps and um you know other other gadgets that tie back in and, and synchronize back with uh, uh with strava and if you you know overlay that with with other mapping information you can kind of figure maybe where people are uh you know uh, able to to go in terms of monitoring perimeters or exercising and and other things um so yeah just interesting we you know we talk about oh yeah lots of data it all gets anonymized so it's all okay um but yeah here's an here's an example that uh, yeah i mean it's law of unintended consequences right and we go right back to the beginning of the show we were talking about the number plate recognition systems right um what could possibly go wrong stupid things like this can go wrong (laughs) um yeah i mean i understand they've identified um um, bases, uh, forward bases in Afghanistan. They've identified a drone pilot station or whatever you call them um, somewhere in Africa, I believe. Um, absolutely incredible. And I'm, I'm genuinely gobsmacked that this one snuck through. You know, that the fact that the data got released and no one had scrubbed it, I actually think is either um, it's got to be deliberate. Someone must have, de- you know, the military would have been all over this. They do some stupid things, the American military, but they're not stupid. Um, and and the fact that someone hadn't previously knocked on Strava's door and said, hey, if you guys are ever going to release some data, hey, maybe just think about taking out, here's some locations you probably shouldn't put some any detail in around. So, yeah, it, and it is. It just highlights that um, when this stuff's out there, um, it's amazing what people can delve into you know and that's just one data set let alone when you start matching it up with others Mm, mm. loose lips sink ships i think that used to be the thing that's right yeah we need a 21st century version but yeah that's an interesting story yeah um so yes gotta be uh gotta be cautious where we where we we head with uh with our with our data going forward um the other headline that i thought was quite interesting and you know particularly uh for those that are that are interested in in telecommunications um is this thing that uh, i think i think it's leaked out i'm not sure it was uh um necessarily intended to come out was a uh, a proposal that the US should look at sort of nationalizing uh, mobile networks and actually uh, the government should control the launch of of 5G networks in New Zealand and then sorry in, in the States. US uh, and uh, and then lease those back to uh, to telcos and that of course has all sorts of consequences um, the, the apparently the big motivating factor was was um, 
caution about about China and um, you know security of information, controlling their networks, and you know I guess when, when we look at it, um, the the big companies that build mobile networks are not US companies That's so right. these these things are going to end up being you know either Chinese technology or um, um, you know what what we've coming coming out of Scandinavia with the likes of uh, you know Nokia Siemens networks yeah I think this is quite an interesting thing for a couple of reasons one is um, I don't think Trump would have a clue what a 5G network is the second one is um, RG Pai the chairman of the FCC the complete Insert, insert expletive here that effectively destroyed net neutrality has come out against the idea, which is is very interesting yeah, when I is, when I saw that. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. And going back to your last point there, I think um, I, I know that we have we Datacom have customers in New Zealand who specify that their network equipment must not be from Chinese manufacturers. So it will be interesting to see. You know, obviously Juniper and Cisco and others, I would imagine, would be in boots and all into this. But then again, there's all sorts of stories about those guys too. So, um, again, we live in very interesting times, don't we? You can't, once upon a time, you could, you know, maybe have some trust in, um, you know, what data was being captured and who was getting to see that data. And I think all that's out the window these days. So um, I think what Trump's trying to do here in a way that he won't understand anything about is shove a, a very, very big genie back into a very tiny, tiny bottle and I... I yeah, well, I mean, certainly the bits I read, you know, suggest that um, this, you know, this isn't maybe coming from, um, well, yeah, that, that Trump's involvement in this is um, grinning and nodding. Poss- possibly, I'm not even sure if he would have even been a, been a, been aware of it. Um, yeah, certainly. You know, I haven't thought of him as a as a uh, technology and telecommunications uh, um, guru, but um, you know who? No, me neither. Funny who, enough, uh, who who knows what he knows is, right. knows about this stuff? But um, no, interesting uh, interesting times, and I mean most of the things that we've heard, uh, as you say, with Ajit Pai's um, you know comment, comments and and so on, it, it sounds as though this thing's already a, a dead duck, and it's not yeah. something that they're intending to. Uh, to go forward with. Although, interesting, if you relate it to New Zealand, it wasn't that, it was, you know, only quite recently we had Chorus basically suggesting that this is what should happen in New Zealand um, and that, uh, you know, the government should effectively sign over uh, 5G to them, that they should run uh, 5G okay, uh, for the country and if any telco, you know, any telco can then, uh, you know, Buy, buy what they yep. need off them rather than having uh, multiple uh, competing uh, mobile networks as is, as, 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 as is the norm. Um, and uh, you can imagine what uh, the likes of uh, Spark and Vodafone yeah. uh, said. Yeah, said two of, thumbs up. Oh, no, maybe not. Uh, about that. So, um, um, how far away yeah. is 5G? From you know, practical uh, for quite some time, the sort of twenty twenty has been referred to okay. as um, as the the sort of time frame to expect five um, G, and uh, you know, I guess um, it's pretty hard to you know draw a line yeah. in the sand and say this is what you know this is five G because I mean five G is a, it encapsulates a whole lot of you yeah. know a whole lot of things and. Uh, yeah, you 
you might have something that sort of it's categorized as 5G, but you know, do you have 5G phones? Do you have, you know, is the network sort of yeah. ubiquitous and, and around the country? Um, I, I, from some of the, the reading I've done recently, it, you know, it sounds like um, it's getting more and more sort of set in stone you know, what the standards and what the elements are of, of 5G. And there have been tests in, you know, the US and the like. Yeah, I've seen You know, they're, they're uh, trying, um, you know, subsets of what 5G uh, will deliver in the longer term, but they've generally been fo- focused, uh, the things that I've noticed anyway, on more the um, fixed broadband type services oh, over okay. a 5G network yep. ra- rather than you mobile know, a mobile network that's like, yeah, we've just given out uh, you know, 100,000 5G phones to, to trial out yep. 5G. It's more, well, we've put some, you know, um, um, you know, mobile broadband units into homes or businesses, and we're running those over over five G to see how that flies. So, yeah, cool. all right. Well, that uh, sort of brings us to the end of this episode. It does thank you, Brett. It's been amazing as always to hang out and chat because you have so many things. good insights. It's great. Love it. Love um, a good chat. So, thank you very much. Now, where do people track track you down online? Uh, the Best places are probably um, Twitter, and I'm at Brett Roberts because that's my name, so I thought that was a good handle. Um, or LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn. Always Excellent. happy to have a chat, always happy to buy a coffee. Excellent, good, good. And um, pretty much the, the same goes for me, although at Paul Spain because that's my name. Um, if you try, if you try, you know, uh, tweeting at Brett Roberts and expecting a response from <laughs> uh, from me, so there's slight variation there. And uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up on um, on on LinkedIn, and it's always nice to hear from uh, from listeners with comments or um, you know feedback and and whatnot. Any suggestions for guests we should have on the show, etc. Yeah, always, always good to hear. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening in again. And uh, we'll be back again, same time, same bat channel next week. Cool. Cool. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.